This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there and gone. Deep left center. Game over. Cubs win. Cubs win. Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Bases loaded. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Good morning. Welcome on in. A happy Sunday morning with all of you. Fred Hubner for the next couple hours leading you up to Notre Dame and Louisville Hoops right here on ESPN 1000-312-332-3776. That is the number. I don't like to start a show with What's Up Fred's Can. And this really isn't that frustrating to me. But yesterday was a nice day because I was able to get home. I had some stuff to do. Took a nap in the afternoon. Woke up, watched some Major League Soccer. The Chicago Fire played last night. We'll talk about the Fire. Their 2-1 loss to L.A. at around 1130 today. But I had a chance to sit and watch Len and J.D. and the Cubs and the Brewers. Seeing John Lester and Albert Almora and all these guys, and it was nice to see. Today, the White Sox are playing the Cubs. It is a Sunday, and the game's not on TV. That's kind of frustrating. Couldn't you have just made the White Sox-Cubs game? Eli Jimenez is playing today against the Northsiders. I don't know. Kind of would have been something you would have sucked in both the Cubs and the White Sox fans, the one broadcast, don't necessarily understand the rhyme or reason. They don't ask any of us. They just put on TV what they want to put on TV. So the Cubs and Brewers were on yesterday. Brewers beat the Cubs 7-4. to Lester giving up a two-run homer to Travis Shaw in the first inning. Just like, I think it was three hits over three innings. So Cubs and Sox, Sloan Park. You can probably find it on your computer somewhere if that's how you choose to view your baseball. Got a nice size TV. I kind of wanted to watch it on that. I know you can transfer it from your phone or your iPad to your TV, but you know, got other stuff to do today. 312 332 3776. We're going to talk Bulls and Hawks, Bulls and Atlanta Hawks, and the Blackhawks as well. Adam Silver may be taking a page from soccer. That's right. The NBA's commissioner might be taking a soccer idea. And use it in the NBA. Scott Merkin will join us from WhiteSox.com and MLB.com. Lots of questions for Scott Merkin as the White Sox do not have Manny Machado. They do not have Bryce Harper. They do have John Jay and Yonder Alonso who lead the team in spring home runs. They each have two. Um, you've been hearing over the last couple of days since Friday some of the sound from Chris Bryant. The Cubs former MVP, World Series winner, third baseman. Joined the Waddle and Sylvie show the other day. I was fortunate enough to be in here for Tommy Waddle. I got a couple things I pulled that I wanted to talk about and make sure you get out and hear these things. So we'll play that as well. I said Chicago Fire Talk around 1130. Oh, God. Season starts. Fire have a one nothing lead. I'm sitting there. My wife's sitting on the couch. We're watching. Man, oh, man, is it frustrating. Soccer might be the most frustrating sport as a fan to watch. 
because of just the little things that can lead to a goal. Little things, a little mistake here, a little mistake there. It's not like you leave a hanging curveball and a guy hits it out of the ballpark. It can be just one little thing, and that's uh, that's what makes soccer interesting. Fire open up their home schedule at SeatGeek Stadium, no longer Toyota Park. SeatGeek Stadium on Saturday, a uh, noon start against Orlando City SC. Yesterday, Bryce Harper uh, held a press conference as the Phillies announced the signing. $330 million for 13 seasons. Bryce Harper, now a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. And I almost don't want to play the whole part. I just want to play him screwing up. Um, Bryce Harper yesterday saying he wants to bring a title back to... To where? We want to bring a title back to D.C. I want to be on Broad Street. On okay. <laughs> okay. They're paying you $330 million for 13 years. You would think you would get the city correct. Remember the commercial a couple years ago where there was a band on stage and they go, Detroit, we love you. But they actually weren't in Detroit. That's not nearly as bad as what he just did. Okay? Philadelphia fans don't forgive very easily. They're paying you $330 million. Now, we sit here in front of a microphone for hours and hours and hours a week. And our stuff isn't scripted. But when you're talking... After signing a deal like that, you would think on a page of paper, you would have Philadelphia, Philly, city of brotherly love. You would have all the things you might refer to your new team as. But no, Bryce Harper. We want to bring a title back to D.C. I want to be on Broad Street. Okay. At least he got Broad Street right. He wants to bring a title back to D.C. Here's the whole cut, talking about wanting to bring a title back to D.C. We want to bring a title back to D.C. I want to be on Broad Street on a freaking boat or whatever, a thing, a bus, whatever it is, and, you know, have a trophy over my head and do that because that's what it's all about. You know, that's, that's, that's at the end of the day, I want to be able to go to sleep and know that I gave it my all and was able to bring back a title to the Philadelphia Phillies organization, to Mr. Middleton, to Mrs. Middleton, and to the whole city of of, uh, of Philly, and you know, to the fans, still, still to, to everybody that's part of this, you know, that, that's what I want to do. That's what I feel like I want my legacy to be: is all about winning, all about playing the game the right way for a great organization and for a long period of time. Uh, the city of uh, the city of where am I? At, where who am I playing for again? Just come on, Bryce. Figure it out. And people that have been listening to me over the last couple of weeks, me being a Sox fan, I was a little upset they didn't get Manny Machado. I thought Manny Machado fit right in. I did not think Bryce Harper fit in for the White Sox. I know. Who's playing right field for you this year? You got Daniel Polka in right field instead. Wouldn't you rather have a Bryce Harper? He can put butts in seats and all this stuff. How many times have I been hearing that? Three years, he's had a war below two. Now one year, it was ten. He won the MVP in 2015. He averages 132 games per season in his career because of injuries. Brian Kenny from the MLB Network mentioned the other day that he has moved from a five-tool threat to a one-dimensional slugger. It's the guy you want to give 13 years and $330 million? Okay, his defensive stats last year, he was minus 26 defensive run save. That was the second worst in baseball behind only Charlie Blackman of the Rockies. He was minus 13 outs above average. That was tied for the third worst, okay? He used to be good on the bases. His extra bases taken have fallen off each of the last two years. 
people talk analytics guys. He's got to barrel up the ball. There's a barrel percentage. Well, his is six point five. That's tied for seventy second in baseball this past year. Seventy second in baseball. He deserves three hundred and thirty million for thirteen years. Now, everything's not bad. Last four years, only five players have had a better weighted runs created plus. Trout, Votto, Judge, Martinez, and Donaldson. Those are the only five players that have had better numbers at weighted runs created plus. So, I mean, I know you can look num- look at numbers and make all numbers say whatever you want those numbers to say. But I'm not the only one. There was an article the other day. I've got it right here. It says Bryce Harper may already be past his prime. There's a good chance that Bryce has already played his best baseball. Uh, he did have, uh, he's one of only 15 position players, 25 or younger, to own a 10 war, according to Baseball Reference. The rare company includes Ted Williams, Mike Trout, Willie Mays, Lou Gehrig, and Cal Ripken Jr. But he's had just one elite season. His other seasons have had the range of outcomes of war from 1-1 to 5-1, even within seasons. He's had dramatic peaks and valleys. Last year, he hit 214 with an 833 OPS in the first half. Was a star in the second half. 300 with a 972 OPS. Harper has played fewer than 120 games in three of his seven seasons because of injuries. People say, well, you know, he's been hurt. So you got, no, he's been hurt three times and he's just 26 now. How many times is he going to get hurt in the next several years for all the money you're paying this guy? These are the reasons I didn't want him on the south side. Okay, again, it's not my money. The White Sox say they'll spend the money sometime. We'll see. 538 examined all players in Major League Baseball who have had one season of eight or more war, but only one before turning 26. And then they studied the trajectory of those players' careers. There were 32 such players in Major League Baseball history, including three other than Harper, who were still active. Aaron Judge, Matt Chapman, who hasn't played his 26th season yet and Evan Langoria. Of the 28 players who are no longer active, 17 never produced another 8-plus war season after they're age 25. So there's, there it's happened before, okay, where a guy might have played his best ball before he gets to that age. Then there are other guys. Another article here from Maury Brown, a writer on the West Coast. Five reasons Bryce Harper's 13-year, I'm sorry, $330 million contract is a steal for the Phillies. Deal works for both sides, frees up money for both sides. Contract gives the Phillies flexibility. Harper is baseball's most marketable player. Again, I, I think that winning is the gate attraction. Not who the guy I know, they sold a ton of tickets. But if they don't start winning... It's not going to help. Plus, they got a pretty darn good team without Bryce Harper. Harper helps the television deal. Harper adds value on the field to a roster that has improved dramatically. There's no doubt about it. And then Bradford Doolittle from ESPN says, with Bryce Harper, our Phillies' favorite in the division, the entire National League, and maybe even more when they bring in Andrew McCutcheon and uh, Gene Segura, JT Real Mudo. They still have Jake Arrieta, Aaron Nola. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all works out and plays out with Bryce Harper. Yesterday, Murph and Fred show, 9 to noon on Saturdays, we had a chance to talk to a guy that has worked with agents, 
He's worked with agents when he was here with the Cubs. He worked with agents when he was with San Francisco and when he was the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's worked with Scott Boris. And we talked to Ned Coletti. Read his book if you get a chance, The Big Chair. Uh, we talked to Ned Coletti about his dealings with an agent such as Scott Boris. Oh, many times. Many times. I think my first dealing with Scott was back when, and think how far, how long ago this was. Greg Maddox had three years of service. Think about that. He pitched about 25 years. He'd been retired about eight. That's how long it goes back. Uh The major deals with Scott, uh, Greg, and then Barry Bonds was with the Giants, uh, Manny Ramirez, a few others here and there. Um, Scott is probably the most well-prepared agent I've ever dealt with. And he, his thought process, I think, is um, uh, always forward-thinking. And I think as I looked at this past negotiation with, with Bryce Harper, I know it was important for him to get, obviously, the most guaranteed money in North American sports history uh, and, a, and a lot of length, because coming behind him, another Scott Boris client, is Rendon, the third baseman. Coming behind him, another Scott Boris client, is Bryant. Coming behind him is the Dodgers Seeger, and then behind him is Bellinger. You've got all very, very good players here. So this was an opportunity for Scott to set the floor for all those negotiations. If Rendon ends up having better year than year or two until he's a free agent than Harper had, that will be the floor. Same thing for Bryant, same thing for Bellinger and Seeger, and, and many others, too. So not many think like that, but I'm pretty sure that that is part of his thought process as he, as he goes through this, because now he's going to be able to point to somebody else and say, well, wait a minute, this guy's better than Bryce. He ought to be getting 15 years, or he ought to be getting $35 million a year times 13. Well, there's always a means to Scott Boris's dealings, and as he said, as Ned Coletti said, Rendon, Chris Bryant, Seeger, Bellinger, they're all coming up. They're going to be looking for contracts. We're not sure what kind of contract uh, Chris Bryant will be looking for or if he will look for an extension or because of free agency right now and how it's taken so long for some of these big-name guys to sign. But they did sign. That's the key factor. They did sign. They did get the money they were looking for, which maybe some people, including the White Sox, might not have thought it was going to be there. But they got that kind of money. So Scott Boris is doing this, and he set the floor and the the only number that was important in the Bryce Harper deal was 326 because they needed to make more than John Carlos Stanton and that was a guaranteed 325 million that was what they went in with and they got it from the Phillies kudos to Philadelphia let's see if it works you got him now for 13 years we'll see how long he does um perform how long he is worth that kind of money, and if anybody's worth that kind of money. I had also asked Ned Coletti yesterday, you look at it, and Manny and Bryce Harper, I don't necessarily look at them as the best players in the game. So I asked Ned Coletti about it. You look at Machado and you look at Harper, what we kept hearing was, these guys are 26 years old, they're just 26, they get all this time, and it was almost to me like, you know, there's no doubt they're both they're both good players. I'm not saying great. They're both good players. And it seems like they got that kind of money only because they're 26 and they were available this year. I think you're right, and uh, I agree. Uh, I think uh, when you have a historic contract, and you had two of them back-to-back, right. really, uh, 
it should be, in my opinion, a historic player. And and I I saw Manny up close here for three months, really talented guy. Not afraid to say he's not going to run all the time. Right. You know, which to me is yeah. like, this is going to be the face of your franchise, the example to your younger players. Mm. Tough to really teach that piece of it, you know? You're going to run 80 feet if you don't, if that's all you feel like running. And Bryce, too. I've seen Bryce's whole National League career. And another really, really good player. Historic player? I don't know. I think Mike Trout is probably a historic player. You know, I don't think that necessarily Bryce is there yet. Historic contracts should be given to historic players, in my opinion. And as he said... When you look at 10 years, $300 million, and 13 years, $330 million, those are historic contracts. There is no doubt about it. And uh, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are the guys. And I've thought all, the, all along that because they're 26 and they are the top guys out there because of the age, everyone says, well, look, they can, they can perform even better now in 27, 28, 29. We will see. We will see if these were good contracts to be signed. And I know how important it is to bring people into the ballpark. But as Chris Bryant has said in the past, and as a lot of the other players in Major League Baseball have said, they don't quite understand why baseball is so slow with free agency because they are making money. Baseball is making nothing but money. They've got a bunch of it. okay. And right now, we're not seeing them spending it. They're spending it. And these two guys, but most of the other players have not gotten big contracts. Most of the other free agents have not gotten big deals. And it's been interesting to me that a lot of the older pitchers, the 34, 35, 36-year-old pitchers, are saying, well, you know, these, these players should be getting their 10 or 12 or $13 million deals because of what they can do. Teams just out there, they're not trying to win. Well, teams would like to win, but they would also like to keep some flexibility in their money. Now, the Phillies did that a little bit with... Bryce Harper because he's making like twenty four and a half million a year as opposed to the thirty million a year, so he's not technically making. I think he's fourteenth on the average um, value of each year, the annual average value of a contract twenty four point five million. So he's not making as much as some of the other players. There's guys making thirty two point five, and and some of them are pitchers. I have no problem sometimes paying a pitcher in his 31, 32, 33-year-old age because pitchers can go a little bit. They can get out there for their 30, 33 starts a season where they don't have to worry about playing 162 games and running all over the field and have a chance of getting hurt. They always have to worry about their arm. They always have to worry about things like that, but they can play a little bit longer. You, you, look, at your, um, you look at your Scherzers. You look at your Kershaws. You look at guys that keep pitching for quite some time. 312-332-3776. You want to jump on in? We got some Sox talk bottom of the hour as uh, Scott Merkin, WhiteSox.com, MLB.com will join us. There is basketball this afternoon. And uh, it is a repeat. It's the home and home, the second half of the Bulls and the Atlanta Hawks. And if you missed it the other night, you may have watched some of it. You may have watched the start. You may have watched the end. Yesterday, Eric Ostrowski put this together for us. Uh, with the four overtime win for the Bulls, 168-161. Andy Demetra was filling in for Neil Funk on the road, along with Stacy King. Otto Porter came up big. Give it a listen to Bulls and Hawks the other night on Friday uh, on NBC Sports Chicago. 
And could this be eight straight points down the stretch by Otto Porter to rescue the Bulls from the brink? Here it is. Got it. That's big. That's big right there. Now they got to get back. Don't let anybody catch up. Evan searching. Finds Prince. I don't think he gets it off in time. It did get to the iron. Wow. We got extra basketball in Atlanta thanks to some heroics by Otto Porter. Comes through in the clutch. To overtime we go. Not at 124. Eight seconds to play. Fox have one timeout left. They will let him go. Young on the dribble. On the drive. Double punches it good. One second left. Inbound Levine from half court for the win. And we go to a second overtime in Atlanta. And it's Trey Young. Who else with the game time bucket? It's Lopez. Hands off Porter. Porter slashes in for the win. No good. And to a third overtime. Stacey King. Andy, I hope you didn't have anything planned tonight like dinner or a movie um, because uh, you're not going to make it, my man. I thought they'd have to defend the final possession. Now they have a chance to win in the third overtime. Baysmore was open. Comes out long to land the heave. No good. Not going anywhere for a while. Let's have a slippers. <laughs> Four overtimes in Atlanta. Time will tick. And we are done. Thumbs up for Jim Boylan as his team grinds out a four overtime 168 to 161 win over the Atlanta Hawks. Two guys who both had career highs, Trey Young and Zach Levine. Levine with 47. A lot of tired legs on that flight home to Chicago, but it'll be a triumphant flight for the Bulls who win a fifth in their last six. Yep, the two teams go at it again today. It is a 2.30 start at the United Center. Trey Young was amazing. And, uh, you know, you don't get a chance a lot unless you're watching a lot of NBA games. You have the NBA package to see a Trey Young play. And last year, Sylvie was all over Trey Young. Really loved Trey Young. People were comparing Trey Young for a while there with Steph Curry. Well, Trey Young the other day, 17 for 33. He played 55 minutes and 50 seconds of the game. Okay, he took 13 threes. He made six of them. He was nine of 11 from the free throw line. He had 16 assists and eight rebounds, 49 points for Trey Young the other day. He's got to still be exhausted. And Zach Levine, Levine, 47 points, 17 of 35 shooting in nine boards, nine assists. The Bulls had three players for the first time in their career, three players with more than 30 points. Now, granted, it was four overtimes. They had some time to do it. Otto Porter, 31 and 10. You had Larry Markinen, 31 points, 17 rebounds. These two go at it again today. The Bulls have now won five of six. I know you're probably not happy, but they're playing good basketball. And a lot of people said, I want to see this young, these young guys develop together. Well, they're doing this right now without Wendell Carter and Chandler Hutchison. So we'll see how it goes today. White Sox talk. Scott Merck and we come back right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Yeah, I was bummed out. I'm sitting there watching video. People were uh, tweeting last night. J.R. Strauss, one of our producers, was there. Bunch of other people out seeing Kiss on their end of the world tour. This is supposed to be it. Their last trip to Chicago, last trip to all these cities. I've seen Kiss 
numerous times growing up, a rock and roller from back in the day. I remember the time. It had to be 76 or 77, maybe 75, maybe 74. I don't know. I'm an old guy. The dates all kind of blend together. But my buddy Bob, my buddy Bob Goodell was actually working at a gas station, and he couldn't go see Kiss. We saw him at the International Amphitheater. So what I did was I walked around the corner at inside the amphitheater, called him up on a cell phone. Not a cell phone. They didn't have cell phones. Called him up on a pay phone and left the pay phone off the hook so he could hear the concert until somebody walked by and hung it up. Oh, that was frustrating. Then I saw him again at the Chicago Stadium with Bachman Turner Overdrive. Just uh, tremendous. And the, the show they put on last night looked like a great one. Saw all the people that were there uh, last night. I'm probably going to have to talk louder because you may not hear me after um, your ears being blown, blown out by Kiss last night. Freddie Upner with you here on ESPN 1000. Be here with you till a little bit after 12 noon. Then we've got Notre Dame basketball. We've got a Sox and the Cubs game today. I know, and I ranted earlier. Not on TV. Uh, here's the lineup for my Chicago White Sox. Lurie Garcia in right, Moncada at third, Abreu playing first base. Yonder Alonso DH, Eloy Jimenez is in left field. Uh, Zach Collins catching. Tim Anderson having a good spring is at shortstop. Yolmer Sanchez at second. Adam Engel in center. Manny Benuelos will be getting uh, the start for the White Sox. For the Cubs, Ben Zobrist second base. Chris Bryant is your DH hitting second. Anthony Rizzo is at first base. Wilson Contreras catching. Kyle Swerber, who did not play yesterday, is in left field. David Bodie at third base. Ian Happ is in center. Addison Russell is playing short. And a kid named Field. I want to say his name is Johnny Field. He is playing right field. Hugh Darvish gets the start for the Cubs. That is a uh, 205 start. And, uh, yeah. You'll have to follow it. If you follow our next guest, he'll be around. Scott, You follow Scott Merkin on Twitter. He'll keep you up to date with what's going on in the game as we go out to Arizona and talk with Scott from WhiteSox.com and MLB.com. Scott, how are you doing this morning? Good. How are you doing, Fred? I'm doing great. A little bummed out because yesterday's Cubs-Brewers game was on TV. Today you got Sox-Cubs. But Sunday, perfect day. Sunday afternoon. What else are you going to watch? But not that, I guess. So that yeah, that, I don't know that you know. I I know it's a it's a I believe it's a webcast on Cubs dot com. Yeah, so you can it uh, is. You can you can you can pick it up there. But yeah, it is a little weird. Usually, uh, I just remember in the past that whatever games there were, usually the Cubs Sox games were were broadcast. But I think one of the Cubs Sox games has moved up a little earlier than it used to be. They I think they both used to be a little later. Uh-huh. The, ones, the one that is being is March 15th here at uh, Camelback. Right. Okay. Um, you look at the rotation, Manny Benuelos getting uh, the start uh, today in the spring training game. Uh, is it a battle right now between him and Dylan Covey for that number five spot? Well, I think the number five spot is going to eventually belong to Irvin Santana, you know, who they okay. just recently brought in. But he's he's still working his way back from, you know, the finger surgery he had last year and, and doing well. You know, he threw his side the other day. I think he'll probably get into a game sooner than sooner than later. So yeah, I think he's gonna be the guy. I'm not sure if he's, he, you know, he is even tempered in himself that, you know, there's no guarantees he starts the season with the team. He may start on the DL as he continues to recover. But I think he's pretty close. He's just kind of going a day by day thing. But I think Benuelos probably has the edge right now. If if Santana doesn't break, you know, with the team, so I, I, he's out of options too. And I know the team really likes him. This is a guy who you know could have been a six year free agent, and the Sox went and acquired him. For a minor leaguer before he got to that level, so I would think Manny Benuelos is probably, 
has a good chance for a spot on this team, whether it's fifth starter or somewhere out of the bullpen. Uh, was yesterday's start for Rodon his first of the spring, the one of the most awaited ones because uh, he obviously the one of the uh, one or twos in this starting rotation. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about this. I would guess it's you know, no, nothing's been announced. I would guess it's going to be Carlos or Ronaldo Lopez probably starting on opening day in in Kansas City on the twenty eighth. And I think people just wanted to see him. You know, they as they usually do, kind of working slowly at the beginning of camp or the early, the first week or so of camp because there's so much time out here and they, the pitchers probably don't need every single day to, to get ready. But, I mean, the key thing is he's, he's healthy. You know, he's ready to go. There was no off-season rehab work, you know, for his shoulder or anything else he had to do. He came in just, you know, he just did normal baseball work in the off-season to get ready, and he looks good. You know, he, he said he was frustrated with one bad pitch he made that, uh, the lake I hit out for a home run, but pretty pretty good uh, first outing for Carlos yesterday. And and the key thing is he's you know he's kind of learning James McCann, who's new uh, to the organization behind the plate. Right. Threw to him yesterday. Threw to him in a simulated game recently. So you know that that and as Carlos pointed out, kind of jokingly, his locker is two away from him. So you know it's, it's good to kind of form that bond early between pitcher and catcher when you're going to throw to him so much during the year. Okay, in the off season they picked up a couple of. A couple of guys at the back end of the bullpen. They pick up uh, Alex Colome, and they also pick up uh, Herrera. Uh, what's that mean for Nate Jones? Well, I think, you know, as, as you've seen, Fred, bullpens are so important, uh-huh. not just for, you know, winning teams, but just any team in general. You know, I mean, I, I, it's good to have a solid bullpen because you want to, you know, you want to win those games that are late, and there's no bigger gut punch than. When you're up, you know, the eighth or ninth in way lead. So they, what they've built now is a number of late inning, high leverage options that Ricky Renteria can go to. You know, there's Alex Calamay, Herrera, Nate Jones. You can even put Jace Fry in there, maybe Ian Hamilton at some point in the future. Zach Birdie's not too far down the line. So, you know, he's, he's still on the recovery trail or the comeback trail from Tommy John, but a lot of good options. So Nate is one of them. You know, I, I don't. I don't know if Ricky will even announce a closer before they go into the season. It may just be whoever is the guy that I would guess Colony probably has the, the edge right now. But I think Nate's a guy who may be the guy who's called to close in the seventh inning and get big outs with, you know, the bases loaded and two outs in the seventh as opposed to getting that save next to his name in the ninth inning. So Nate's in the, Nate's in the picture. Absolutely. Nate also, you know, interesting fact, the longest tenured pure White Sox guy on the right. roster right now. No one has been here longer than, than Nate Jones. So, yeah, he's he's in the mix for sure for that late-inning leverage situation, high-leverage situations. You and I have gone back and forth on Tim Anderson over the last several years, and yes. I, I yes. said coming into this year, I'm giving him a clean slate. Uh, what what do you think it meant? He was very he was a very confident. I don't want to say cocky guy, but he was a very confident guy at Sox Fest. You know when all the rumors about Manny Machado and he he seemed to handle right. everything in stride. He's off to a nice start, seven for thirteen, five runs, five RBIs in five games. He got a homer, a triple, a couple of doubles. Do you think this was a relief? Do you think it's just him maturing and and finally being in the big leagues for a certain number of years? I think it was released that he didn't have to be asked by us anymore. You know, <laughs> do you think you're going to move to center field? Is sure. That, is it, you know, is is, is that going to happen? Even though you worked so hard since you were drafted and you know tirelessly last year before the game, before practice and spring training to to really make yourself one of the better defensive shortstops for like the last two thirds of the season. So I think he was just glad to be be done with that stuff at that point. But you know, he he said that he worked a lot in this off season on his timing offensively. He said he thought he was a little off last year. And he felt like that was going to 
with the early work. So I think Tim's a you know great player. He's a great fit in that organization. He really embraces being a White Sox player, and, and you know that's great. But it also helps him. You can play too, and, yeah. he, can, and he certainly can do that. So I, I think this is going to be a big year for Tim Anderson. I think you've seen the steady progress from him as he's as he's gone. You know, through the through the minors up to the majors, and I think this could be kind of a breakout year for Tim. I, I have that sense. Uh, Scott Merkin joining us from Arizona. Um, Yohan Moncada moving over to third. Was it? Do right. you think this move was originally made? Think with Manny Machado in mind moving over to short, or do you think this is something they were considering doing anyway? It's kind of interesting because you know Tim always had that confidence that he was not leaving short, right? And it would it would have been interesting to start Moncada working a third, have Machado come in, and then have him move back to second again. But I, I think this was in the works since the end of last year. I think they they believed that he was just a better fit at third. It really fits kind of his like instinctive athletic ability. You know, there's no there's no downtime over there. There's no time really to think about stuff. You just kind of react to third base, and that fits him well. He has had a lot of chances, you know, so far since he's been over there. He made a nice play in uh, Scottsdale this past Monday on a uh, grounder off Manuelos' glove that he barehanded and threw. I can't remember who hit it, but it was something for the Giants. He threw him out at first. So, yeah, I, and he knew it. You know, I talked to him in the offseason, and he knew that there was a chance they were going to move him. So this wasn't this didn't blind him at all. I, I think the biggest thing with Moncada, though, is that you know, at the end of last year, he went to Todd Steverson, the hitting coach, and Rick Urenteria and said, yeah, I want to get better. I want to work on some stuff. Let's meet in the offseason. So he came out here to Arizona for 10 days, and they went over video. They worked on things like hand placement. They've talked about his approach with two strikes and everything, and, and it's shown so far. You know, I mean, so this is a guy who wants to get better. He's not just kind of resting on his laurels and just saying, well, I have the talent, so it's eventually going to click. He really wants to make it work. Well, and there's another thing, too. I know he had so many strikeouts last year and fell just short, I think, of the record. And I'm looking here, he's uh, 6 for 13, double, a triple, and six strikeouts. People don't care if you strike out in baseball anymore if you hit the ball the other times. You know what I mean? They, If you keep right. a high average and get on base, they're not so concerned about the strikeouts anymore. Yeah, I think, you know, a guy who the Sox are playing today, look at Chris Bryant's rookie of the year and MVP year. You know, there, there's some strikeouts in there. Mike Trout is considered probably the best all-around player in the game. I know he's cut him down over the last couple of years, but he would strike out, you know. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's, you know, if he's productive the rest of the time when he's striking out 160, 170 times, people won't even bat an eye. So, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there's the stigma anymore unless you're not doing stuff with the other bats that it's focused on him quite a bit more. Okay, if, if you're Ricky Renteria, what's your opening day outfield going to look like? Wow, I think right now it's probably going to be, assuming Jimenez doesn't break camp with the team, it's probably Jay and Wright, Angle and center, and then I would guess either Palka or Delmonico on left. But, I, you know, Leary Garcia's had a nice start to the camp, so I suppose he could be out there too. You know, there's a possibility uh, he'll be in the mix as well for that for that opening day. But I, I, I guess it, so if it's Danny Duffy starting, he's a lefty, so maybe, maybe it is, maybe it is, you know, Garcia because right. he's a switch hitter. But, you know, and then that'll change, obviously, when Eloy Jimenez eventually gets called up, assuming he doesn't break camp with the team. But, yeah, I would look at like There's still a couple of interesting roster battles, you know, assuming they keep eight pitcher, eight relievers, and only three bench players to be played out before the end of spring training. One last thing. Uh, we all know sure. that there's a really good chance that Eloy Jimenez is going to start. Maybe, I think it's a, a road series in New York. Uh, April, like I think it's fifteenth or eighteenth or something like that, because that would suffice the uh, the time for him to get that extra year. 
When when do you think it's projected that Luis Robert will make it to the big leagues? Yeah, I think Luis Robert has like the raw talent to be a guy right now, but obviously that's not going to happen. I mean, he missed you know far too much time with injuries last year, and he's got you know a lot to learn besides just the raw talent, which we see all the time on display out there. I mean, he's he almost looks like a defensive back playing baseball. You know, the way he runs, right. and the way he reacts on the outfield. But I would think at some point in 2020. Okay. If he stays healthy this year and has a full, solid season, that you could see him at some point in 2020. I think he's that close ability-wise, assuming he just continues to progress, that you that he can get up there pretty quickly. But he's got to stay healthy. You know that was the problem. He had the, the couple of thumb injuries last year, and that slowed him down. And I think it, it, it limited. I, I want to say like I don't remember the exact at bat total, but it was it was a low, much lower than they wanted to the point where they put him in the Arizona Fall League, right, to get some more at bats. Yeah, so yeah I, I think, you know, 20 is not, at some point of that year, is not completely out of the question if things go well in 19. Well, there's, there's a lot to look forward to. It's not going to be Manny or uh, Bryce Harper, but they still have a lot in the system, and I think a lot of White Sox fans are still looking forward to uh, the rebuild continuing. Scott, appreciate it as always. Uh, enjoy the Sox-Cub games today. We'll talk to you soon. Sure, anytime, Fred. Thanks. Scott Merkin from uh, WhiteSox.com, MLB.com. His phone was just good enough, I thought, to hang on and not have to call him back. We, As he was talking, you know, when he slowed down every once in a while, it seemed to go out a little bit. Hey, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, may be taking a cue from European soccer. We'll talk about that when we come back. Freddie Hubner with you till right around 12, a little after 12, leading you up to Notre Dame and Louisville right here at ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Top of the hour. We're going to hear a lot from Chris Bryant. He was on the Waddle and Sylvie show the other day. I want to get your opinions on a few things that he talked about. Specific stuff. We're going to pull some things out of the interview and uh, talk about them uh, and uh, go from there and also get some of your Cub thoughts if you had a chance to watch the Cubs game yesterday. Albert Almora did lose some weight, man. He, he looks slim and trim out in uh, center field for the Cubs. It seems like a lot of them uh, have dropped a few pounds and uh, we'll see how things go for the Northsiders. They want to bounce back after the season last year. There's nothing worse than having the opponent celebrate on your field back-to-back days to end your season. And that's what happened last year with both Milwaukee and Colorado. I mentioned uh, the NBA uh, Bulls taking on Atlanta and Trey Young again today, a 2.30 start at the United Center. Um, headline from NBC Sports. Adam Silver says the All-Star game didn't work. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver gets that. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed a paragraph. The NBA All-Star Weekend is not about the game or the dunk contest or any of the activities on the court. It's a showcase for the stars, a chance for the marketing machines around the league to go into overdrive, and it's a chance for the league to hype its biggest names. It's just not about basketball. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver gets that, and he'd like that to change. Silver mused about it at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. All the brainiacs get together at the MIT Sloan Analytics Conference. Um, Adam Silver saying the All-Star game didn't work. He called it an afterthought and said of the changes. So players go on teams drafted by captains. I get it. We put an earring on a pig. Silver also talked about chopping off 15 to 20% of the NBA season. 
saying that uh, scaling back to 70 games instead of 82. Of course, 70 games would mean six fewer home dates per team, corresponding drop in revenue. With that, players and everyone involved in the league would have to take a 15 to 20% pay cut. Good luck with that. Now, which is why Silver talked about possibly, here's the soccer stuff, possibly trying to replace the revenue with money from a preseason or midseason tournament, similar to that that is seen in European soccer. There could be multiple smaller tournaments. Silver said it would be possible to have some of these tournaments overseas, Europe or Asia, where the NBA is working to grow its brand. Now, I've tried to explain this to a lot of people in English Premier League soccer, for example. We are going to talk fire at 1130 after they opened their season last night in Los Angeles. Um, They have a League Cup. They have the Champions League. And then they have the Europa League. They have other tournaments and other leagues that go on during the course of the season. For example, in the English Premier League, the top four finishers play in the Champions League. And they start playing on their off days. Like, for example, if they play on a Sunday, there might be a championships game on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And then maybe they have a week off. They put all these into the schedule. And the same with their League Cup. Okay, this year it's called it's now called the Carabao Cup. And they have the FA Cup. They have all these other tournaments that make themselves money. Now, the far-looking Sloan Conference, safe place for Silver to think out loud about some of the far-reaching issues. He also was quick to admit that any changes to the length of the NBA season are not coming soon. Changing all that tradition around an all-star game would be very difficult and require players' union and ownership to buy in. Even if the game itself borders on unwatchable, we will keep it. We will keep getting it for the unforeseeable future. Well, I don't watch the NBA All-Star Game. I loved the the three-point shooting. Despise the slam dunk contest. But, you know, Felix, you're a big NBA guy. Uh, What's your thought? Because I... I love the 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 three point shooting because it's per, it's pure shooting. It's what they're doing in the game. You know what I mean? It was nice to see Dirk out there, even though he struggled. It was nice seeing guys out there shooting from three. People all trying to beat Steph, and then Joe Harris actually did and ended up winning from uh, the Brooklyn Nets. But what's your opinion of that whole All Star Weekend? See, I, I'm with you. The three point contest now is fun, obviously, because the league has changed to a three point game. Right. The dunk contest hasn't been the same, but hopefully in the next coming years with some of these guys coming out of the draft, that changes a little. Now, as far as the all star game goes, I'm a big NBA fan, so I enjoy watching these NBA players take the court. But, but obviously the biggest problem is, I mean, they're not really playing for anything, right? No. In baseball, they played for something at one point. You know what I mean? Like, they were playing for home field advantage. I mean, if there was something like that added on to the NBA All-Star game, then you would see more defense being played instead of just an offensive showcase. You know, when people compare, we've done this before in the air, when people compare All-Star games, the baseball All-Star game is the only game where you have to play defense. Because if there's a ground ball hit to second, You've got to field it. If there's a fly ball hit the center, you've got to go get it, which is interesting because it's the closest to the actual game. The NBA, guys driving to the basket, you're just going to watch and see what he can do on the slam dunk. And what's crazy, too, is like usually the last three to two minutes of a game, because of pride and everything like that. And the 50,000 extra. Don't they get a 50,000 or 100,000? Right. You know, they add more 
emphasis to their game, right? That's when they start playing solid defense. If you were to see that more in a game, I, I get it too, the wear right. and tear. You don't want to see anybody get injured. I get all those things. Sure. But I think obviously if those things were added onto it, then you would really enjoy the NBA All-Star game just a bit more. Pro Bowl, that's why we don't enjoy the Pro Bowl, right? Oh, well, yeah. It, and Pro it's Bowl. obviously scary to see one of your players going all out, get hurt, and yeah. be out for the whole year, and then you can't use them Terrible. when there's really a game that actually matters. Yeah, we'll see what Adam Silver eventually does. It'll probably be a few years down the road. We come back, we'll hear from Chris Bryant of the Cubs right here on ESPN 1000. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. He goes right. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's game day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores! Sacks win! What a comeback! Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go! There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall! It's gone! This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you till a little after 12 o'clock here on ESPN 1000 in the uh, first Midwest Bank studio. Uh, Felix Reyes at the controls and you know, a lot of Chris Bryant sound to hear. Uh, Chris Bryant was on the Waddle and Sylvie show. I was fortunate enough to be in for Tommy Waddle the other day. So we're going to hear that in just a second. A couple of things I wanted to make sure I got to. Things we have not touched yet. And then we'll get right to the Chris Bryant sound. Uh, Blackhawks losers yesterday. Okay, lose six to three to the L.A. Kings yesterday afternoon. They are now seven points behind Minnesota for the final wild card spot with just seventeen games remaining. They have sixty three points. Uh, it's going to be tough. There are two teams ahead of them: Colorado Avalanche and uh, Arizona Coyotes. They are all at sixty five games. Um, it's been an interesting little run here late in the season as the Hawks have gotten back into uh, into it. But just giving up goals. I'm looking here at the Western Conference, and they have given up 245 goals. Nobody in the Western Conference has given up more than 213. So they've given up 32 more goals than any other team in the Western Conference. That's got to stop. You just can't do it. And I know I saw Corey Crawford with some comments saying, I just didn't stop enough pucks basically yesterday. So that's not a good thing. To basketball, Loyola. They take the number one seed in the Missouri Valley Tourney, which begins later on. They are 19 and 12, 12 and 6 in conference. UIC gets a win yesterday. They're 16 and 15, 10 and 8 in the Horizon League, and they will get the fifth seed in their tournament, which starts on uh, Tuesday. It is definitely March. It's tournament time all over the place, even here in the state. And just so you all know, March Madness was originated here in the state of Illinois for Illinois high school basketball. March Madness, that's where it started. Not on CBS, not with college basketball. Uh, I don't know if they have a deal with uh, the Illinois, uh, the IHSA, but it was started here, the original home of March Madness right now in Peoria, at least for another year or two. And then maybe it moves to Champaign or it moves somewhere else. 
but uh, it is in Peoria. Uh, last night, the girls' 3A championship goes to Morton as they beat Glenbard South in the 4A to Main West over Mother McCauley. You've got the 1A and 2As next week, and after that, the 3A and 4A. Uh, IHSA has done numerous things over the history of Illinois State High School basketball, one of which was the stupidity of changing it and making it four classes instead of just two. Uh, I've gone downstate with my buddies for probably 27 of the last 30 years. Looks like I'm going to miss this one this year down in Peoria, but, uh, it is a, it's a good time. Peoria is struggling. Uh, their economy struggles, but, uh, there are places to go. We're always down there, uh, during Lent. So a bunch of good Catholic boys, we always have a hard time finding things to eat. Um, but we finally found a place and, uh, now I, I will not be able to make it, but they'll probably be there again. And uh, basically anything that does not have meat in it, we throw on our plates. Um, let's get to some baseball. Chris Bryant and the Cubs. Bryant batting second today and is uh, DHing against the White Sox and Manny Benuelos. The uh, two teams go at it at Sloan Park uh, a little bit later on today. E- Friday, we had the opportunity to talk to Chris Bryant. And uh, Chris Bryant is unlike a lot of other athletes. He doesn't give you the stock answers. He doesn't give you the short, uh, meaningless, uh, couple word answers. Chris Bryant is a thoughtful guy. He's a young guy who's won an MVP. He's won a World Series championship and uh, he is looking to bounce back. Last year, his left shoulder really was, uh, a problem. And uh, he talked on the Waddle and Sylvie show the other day about the impact of his shoulder injury. Kind of like one of those things where it's like you never knew what to expect, you know, and that's, that's the toughest part is, you know, you want to get to a point where you know that, you know, you're solid, you're strong, you're ready to go, you know, but then there's days where, you know, I'd take an awkward swing and it'd be like, man, like I thought I was good, you know. So I think that was the toughest part for me, just the ups and downs of it and like feeling good, feeling strong, and then not feeling that. One of the things I asked Chris Bryant, I, one of the, there's a catchphrase. Oh, it was a catchphrase. Joe's got a lot of them. But it's a phrase that Joe uses a lot. The last couple of years, he's used it when the Cubs' offense has struggled. He said, we just need the guys to move the ball around. And last year, uh, in the second half of the season, when Chris Bryant started batting with both hands on the bat and not the one-hand swing, which he's been using most of his career, uh, he, he just seemed to hit the ball, you know, a single to right center here, another single to right center here. And I asked him if it was difficult for him to turn on the ball. And if at that point he was just trying to make, you know, some kind of impact, some kind of contact with the pitches. Yeah. I mean, I, I last year I was just trying to anything to kind of like alleviate certain, uh, symptoms or whatever, you know, just trying something, you know, listening to the trainers and hearing their feedback and then saying, you know, maybe if you did this, obviously they're not, you know, hitting coaches, uh, per se, but you know, they're out for, you know, our best interest, uh, medically and they want us to be healthy. So, um, I was listening to them. I tried it out and then, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, like I've hit one way my whole life and it's worked really well for me. So, I'm going into the off season. I'm scrapping everything that I've heard about this and that, and I'm just going to be myself. That's got to excite Cub fans. If you're one of them, three one two three three two three seven seven six. Is he the biggest key for the Cubs this year, Chris Bryant? Is it him? Is it you, Darvish? 
Is it, uh, you know, the pitching rotation coming back and uh, dominating? I think they can have one of the top rotations in baseball. And I know I'm not saying much. I took the L the other day, and one of the advertisements for the Cubs this year basically breaks down their staff. Their staff is on the billboard, okay? It says Lester, Hendricks, Quintana, Darvish, and Hamels. It's got them all up there. And if these guys perform, if you get the Cole Hamels you had last year, that's ama- That's going to be amazing. Well worth the $20 million that the Cubs had to pay him this year. If you get you Darvish, the you Darvish that you were hoping to get, this Cubs team is going to have one heck of a starting rotation. Um, one of the other things, when there was the press conference at the end of the year, uh, Theo talked about you know, how the team needed to have a little more sense of urgency, and Chris Bryan talked about that. You know, I think that press conference took place after all of the players had met with him and Jed and Joe, and we all voiced our frustrations collectively. So, you know, um, we were totally aware, and a lot of that was coming from us too. Like, you know, the sense of urgency, like that is what we we needed more of that. You know, I, I think we got swept by the Reds last year, a four-game series or something like that. You know, and I know that we could have battled one of those games and probably snuck out a win there, and, and then the whole season changes from that, you know, so... I think it's just important this year to look at each and every series, each and every day game, game that we don't want to like be there for, you know, rain outs, rain delays, and just really take it and be like, you know, we're going to use this to our advantage and really, you know, pounce on some teams. The Cubs had that ridiculous stretch of games because of rainouts and everything where they played a continuous number of games more than you're supposed to by Major League Baseball and that was a very, very tough stretch and run for the Cubs last year. Uh, I have heard Joe Madden say it quite a bit about, uh, you know, two out of three ain't bad and I uh, basically asked Chris Bryant about that. I know the phrase two out of three has been used by a lot of people in a lot of other sports, too. Uh, Joe Madden has used it. But is there going to be like an extra effort this year if you take the first two to say, listen, we got to go out and get this third one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think that's something we did really well in 2016 is we really swept a lot of teams and really you know, when we took those first two games and, you know, they were down for that third game, they knew that they were going to get a even better game from us. So I, I think that's really what, what made us great. And, you know, some years, like last year, it's not going to be like that. But if we can just get the right mindset and if we don't end up doing it, then we could live with that. But, you know, I just think sometimes last year, you know, maybe we took our foot off the gas pedal a little bit. And, you know, I, ha- I had a good, good, bird's eye view of that because I, I had some time sitting on the bench and really watching and you know I kind of observed it so it's kind of nice going into this year where we know what changes we need to make. It's really amazing to me I've talked to obviously over the many many years I've been doing this tons of athletes and Chris Bryant is so thoughtful with each and every answer he's giving you and if something comes to mind he throws it out there and like he said he had the perfect view he was sitting there watching these things happen to the Cubs last year. And uh, it was not fun to watch for him. And uh, he is a guy that needs to bounce back. He cannot wait to get out there and uh, bounce back for the Cubs. Another thing that uh, gets talked about quite a lot, we'll get to the calls in a second, 312-332-3776. There's so much talk in baseball over the last couple years about launch angle. And uh, he gets a little bit of a kick that people actually think 
he's like the launch angle guru, and he wanted to put an end to that right away. That's a whole other thing that completely frustrates me is this whole launch angle thing, and that I'm like, I said earlier that I'm like the messiah of this launch angle. Like, <laughs> I, like it, it, that's not the case at all. I was just, you know, taught from a very young age, you know, from my dad, who, who learned from some really great hitting guys, Ted Williams, when he played his couple years in the minor leagues. It's just that you got to hit the ball over the infielder's head. You know, the ground ball, ground balls on the ground are outs in the big leagues, and I just really took that to heart. It wasn't like I need to go out there and hit a ball at you know this launch angle and at this exit below, and I need to do that. I mean, it's just common sense. You hit the ball hard and in the air, you're going to do damage, and that's all that I do. You know, and then you know I, I see things on TV and people saying certain things and like saying that I'm the, like, I'm the, like, leader of this, and, like, all he tries to do is hit four pop-ups to center field in the game. Like, no, it's not what I do. Like, it just cracks me up that it's just this 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 whole around the game now. It's, it's completely changed, and like I said earlier, like, the negativity part, it, it sells, and people love, love hearing that, and, you know, it's up to me to kind of change that narrative and be a little more positive about, you know, how I approach the game and stuff like that. Okay. Earlier in the interview, he talked a lot, Chris Bryant did, talked a lot about um, Twitter, social media, the negative negativity of social media. And, you know, there were there were comments, people, you know, Chris Bryant, perfect time to trade him. Uh, he's got an injury, not going to be what he was before, things like that. And uh, it got to it gets to be crazy. And he had mentioned that he, along with some of the other players, have decided, you know, what this the stay away from Twitter during the season because there's very little, if anything, that's positive put on there. It's all such negative stuff. And anybody on Twitter, I mean, uh, the main reason I'm on Twitter is to follow stories. And uh, some of the comments from people I know that are in the quote business, work at the station with me, watching the same games I'm watching and things like that. Uh, otherwise, there would be no reason for me to be on it. I wouldn't wouldn't care about most of the stuff. But almost every story in sports media breaks on Twitter. Uh, let's grab a call, and then we'll get back to more Chris Bryant. We got another soundbite, which I, I which I was interested. I asked the question, so of course I was interested in his response. Let's go to John in Rolling Meadows. Hey, John, what's happening? Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, with the White Sox so-called rebuilding, and I'm getting tired of hearing that, um, I've been following the Brewers and uh, and the Cardinals, and Goldschmidt going to the Cardinals, man. I'm telling you, that's a he's a beast. And and you look at the Brewers, and, and they picked up a catcher from the Dodgers as a free agent, uh, a switch hitting catcher with power from both sides. I don't think the Brewers are going anywhere. I think it's going to come down to Madden being more patient with the starters and not pulling them out in the fourth and fifth inning, and not you know wasting that bullpen early in the season, they're not going to be around like they were last year. And you get, the Braves' bullpen is so tough. You know, I mean, the You the meant Brewers, Brewers, right? You mean the Brewers' yeah, bullpen, yeah. Yeah. If, you know, if that first series in Milwaukee could tell a whole lot very early as to where these two teams are going to be down the road. So, you know, this this first series with, with Texas is huge because Texas kills the ball down there. That ball carries well. And, you know, I mean, Bryant has got to be healthy this year all year. That shoulder starts acting up. They're going to have a problem. 
Well, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And uh, he needs to be healthy, John. Appreciate the call. Uh, he needs to be healthy. The one thing with pitchers, and I agree for the most part what you're saying, I would love to see Cubs pitchers go into the seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth in innings. Uh, a lot of that relies on them, and a lot of it relies on Joe Madden. Joe Madden and the Cubs pitchers, um, the Cub pitching coach, the analytics, they have to believe a little bit that the Cubs pitchers can get guys out on their third time through the lineup. It's such a weird thing concept, to me anyway, from a guy that's followed baseball all my life, about getting a guy out uh, because he's already faced the lineup twice and now he's starting to face them the third time. I understand if you look at the averages, but there's a lot of pitchers in baseball, and some pitchers bring that average way up. Other pitchers can handle it. Uh, I would love to see some of these Cub pitchers, like Hendricks and like a Lester. You know Lester hates coming out of games. Hendricks is a guy that would love to pitch 200 innings. I think he was just under last year. And I mean, when I say just, I mean like two-thirds of an inning under. He was like right there. And uh, there's no doubt about it that I would love to see their starters stay in longer. You have a bullpen, and over the years, it has changed. Baseball, the game of baseball has changed. Um, you know, now it's like, get us to the fifth, get us through five, and we'll we'll go to the bullpen for six, seven, eight, and nine. We got the guys to do it. We're going to save our starters' arms. They're going to be healthy when it gets late in the season. But I also like seeing my starter get out of jams at times and be able to pitch through jams. But you need to get through the first four or five innings with a, a manageable number of pitches. And if you don't, you're going to be coming out. That magical 100 number is always there. And if you get if you get close to the 100, uh, there's going to be people up in the bullpen. It's funny. I did not even realize. it is How weird is it that the Cubs opened the season in Texas against the Rangers? It's such a bizarre thing. I would be all for getting rid of completely interleague play. Now, you can't do it right now because there are 15 teams in both leagues. When there were 16 in one and 14 in the other, you could have done it. I don't care. People ask me about all the rules, the baseball rules. If you could get rid of interleague play, I could not, I would be the happiest guy in the world. Now, if you get rid of interleague play, you can keep the DH in the AL and not in the NL, but you would have to do something in the World Series. Uh, I just, uh, if you've heard me before, you've probably heard me harp on it, that there it's not fair. Basically, when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, it wasn't fair that Kyle Schwarber couldn't play in the games at Wrigley because he couldn't play the field. He could play in the games in Cleveland, went 7-for-17, seven and was the star of the World Series and helping the Cubs win a World Series. But it's just not right that Cleveland was unable to use their DH in the three games at Wrigley Field. Just not right. So the Cubs open up on the road in Texas, then at Atlanta, and then at Milwaukee before coming home on uh, April 8th against Pittsburgh. You got Pittsburgh, then the Angels, Mike Trout and company. Really? And then the Marlins. You go to play the Marlins. It just if you, can get, if you told me you got rid of interleague play tomorrow, I would be a happier guy. I don't want to see... I don't care to see the White Sox play the Pirates or the Phillies or any of these other teams or the Sox against the Marlins. Don't care. And, uh, again, no one's asked me. You've got to do it now that you have 15 teams in each because each and every single day there's got to be an interleague series because you got 14 and 14 playing each other 
and then you've got to have those other two teams playing somebody, uh, playing each other in the other league. One other thing I wanted to play from Chris Bryant, and if you were watching ESPN last year, Chris Bryant did something that surprised me a little bit. He said he was fine with it. This is what he had to say when he joined the Waddle and Sylvie show on Friday. Early in the season last year in St. Louis, a Sunday night game, and between innings, Alex Rodriguez shows an interview with, that he did with you, and you're standing by the batting cage, and you're standing by home plate, and yeah. he asked you where you liked the perfect pitch, and you told him. That surprised yeah. me that you told him, <laughs> but then an inning later, Michael Waka threw you one exactly right there, and you hit it out of the park. Um, <laughs> were you hesitant to tell him where you like, where your perfect pitch is? No, not at all. I mean, because the other teams have that info, too. They have your hot zones, they have your cold zones, and, you know, uh, like, they have all the information, too. So, I, 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 it's just funny how you put something out there to universe like that. I like the ball here, and then the game, like, he throws it there, yeah. and I, I actually do what I said that I like, you know? So, like, uh, that was such a very, very enjoyable interview, too, just talking baseball and kind of, like, what I do at the plate and how I approach certain things, and coming from one of the greatest to ever do it, you know, Alex Rodriguez, um, super knowledgeable, fun to hear what he has to say about the game too. I think he does a great job commentating games. And, um, that was, that was a really, uh, really cool thing. I don't know if anybody else felt that way when you were watching the game. It was May 6th last year. It was a Sunday night game. It ended up going like 14 innings and the Cubs ended up losing it, uh, at the end. But, uh, I was so shocked when I heard Chris Bryant say, you know, um, Alex Rodriguez said, so you like the pitch here? And he goes, no. He goes, I like it inside, just below my knees. And I'm going, really? You're telling everybody in baseball to stay away from your hot zone. Uh, but I guess he's right. Everybody knows that in baseball. They know where Chris Bryant likes the pitch and where he is going to turn on it. I'm not giving away secrets. They got him out yesterday on this. All hitters in baseball, it amazes me that you throw any power hitter a pitch below the waist because it seems like that's where they hit the ball. They hit the ball and they hit it hard if you throw it to them below the waist. If you throw them waist up, you try to beat them on waist up fastballs. They got Bryant yesterday on a four-seam fastball up high. I think it was Chase Anderson got him and struck him out. And I'm saying to myself, that's the pitch that Chris Bryant has to work on. There's a lot of big power hitters that don't hit that. You go back and look at some of Chris, um, Bryce Harper's home runs, and I see Larry Boa saying that uh, he's that Harper's going to hit 40 homers this year. Uh, we'll see. Um, but most of these guys, especially the left-handed hitters, they love the ball low. Why would you ever throw them a low pitch, especially low and inside? These left-handed hitters love it. And the right-handed power hitters, everything should be wasting up because they have a hard time getting around on it. There is a great story and a great uh, thing called um, effective velocity. And one of our other producers, Sean Davis, gave me the article. If you get a chance, track it down. The guy's written books and everything. His name's Perry Husband, uh, spelled just like it would sound, Perry Husband, and uh, wrote a whole book about um, effective velocity and how different a fastball is on the outside part of the plate as opposed to a fastball uh, high and tight. Still in the strike zone, but it picks up miles per hour when it comes in high and tight. So if you see a guy hit a 
uh, Oral Hersh, uh, Oral Hershiser, a Clayton Kershaw fastball that's low and away, but it would, it came up at 98 miles an hour. Well, by the time it gets low and away, it's probably 93, 94 miles an hour. But if it comes high and tight, you can add a few miles per hour onto that. This, these analytics are interesting. After all this time, I'm getting into them. Nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, I got my baseball prospectus at home. My back was hurting from carrying it around. It's a big, heavy book. We come back. We're going to talk some Chicago Fire soccer. If you're a Chicago Fire fan, you saw the game last night. You have some thoughts, some comments. The Fire went out to uh, play the L.A. Galaxy. Bastian Schweinsteiger going against Zlatan Ibrahimovic. The Fire took an early lead. Things did not turn out the way they wanted. We will talk about it. We come back right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you till a little past the top of the hour. Got Notre Dame basketball. Notre Dame taking on Louisville today. We're in March, meaning March Madness. Tournament and uh, Selection Sunday pushed a little bit. This year, not until the 17th, which is a little bizarre. They move a little. It happens every once in a while. Tournament starts a little bit later than usual. So uh, we'll be all over that as we get closer to the tournament. A lot of games will be right here, obviously, on uh, ESPN 1000. We're broadcasting from the First Midwest Bank studio here on State Street. Nice day. It's going to get cold out, but hey, it's, yeah, I know it's March. It's Chicago. It's going to stay cold. I mentioned how I've gone down to Peoria for a lot of the years for the state high school basketball tournament. There have been times we were down there in shorts. There were other times we were down there in winter coats. Happens. That's what you get. Um, you want to talk some soccer. Chicago Fires opened up their MLS season yesterday. All of MLS just about opened it up yesterday. They have two more games today on ESPN, as a matter of fact. Uh, five o'clock, DC United and Wayne Rooney taking on, uh, last year's MLS Cup winners, Atlanta United and LAFC with Bob Bradley as their coach going against Sporting Kansas City at seven o'clock. No doubt John Champion, who has, uh, come over from England and now will be doing MLS games. He is, uh, will be doing one of those contests. Uh, the last entire commercial break, I looked to see who was doing those games today and could not find it. So I'm pretty sure he is doing one of them. Okay. Last night, the Chicago Fire opened their season. They were on FS1. FS1 had a doubleheader. Uh, Derek Ray and Marisa Du did the game for the Chicago Fire and the LA Galaxy. Big game because you have two of the biggest stars in international soccer. Bostic Feinsteiger from the Chicago Fire and Zlatan Ibrahimovic from the Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, the Fire with some new players. They started C.J. Sapong up top because Nemanja Nikolic was, uh, who was a golden boot winner. Explanation, golden boot winner is the person who scores the most goals. Two years ago, he did that for the Chicago Fire. He scored more goals than anybody else in Major League Soccer. Last year, the Fire struggled. They had a bad season. They had a lot of injuries. Coming into the season, they're looking for better things to happen. And again, if you saw the game last night, you want to comment 312-332-3776. The White White Sox, the Chicago Fire also picked up a new goalkeeper. David Osted, who's been around the league, he was with D.C., he was with the Vancouver Whitecaps, and David Osted was outstanding yesterday for the Chicago Fire. He made a huge save early in the contest, just a couple minutes in, and the Fire picked up a guy, and I'm not exactly sure how to say his first name, I want to say it's Premislaw, and 
His last name is Frankowski. There's a W, but you pronounce it as a V, as you do with Schweinsteiger. There's a W. It's pronounced as a V, just informing everybody. Um, this guy's unbelievable. A Polish winger up and down the left side of the game uh, last night for the Chicago Fire, along with Georgi Mihalovic, who is 20 years old, a homegrown player. He's been with the Chicago Fire Academy for a while. He's now the U.S. men's national team, scored a goal in his first U.S. national national team game. Um, Georgi Mihalovic and Frankowski and Katai and Sapong and Nikolic, when he's in there, the Chicago Fire are going to have one heck of an attack throughout the course of the season. Last night, a scoreless first half. Uh, Firehead chances. Uh, Katai pushing a shot wide in the 26th minute. A one-timer from Mihalovic from about uh, 20 yards out, 25 yards out, uh, saved by the goalkeeper. David Osted, a header for, uh, to clear the top of the box from danger. Um, and uh, the Chicago Fire had some chances. They had a free kick, 22 yards out late in the first half. It was deflected. Second half gets underway. And when you make mistakes in all sports, the team that jumps on the mistakes usually comes out a winner, or at least good things happen to them. There was a back pass from the L.A. Galaxy back to the keeper, and uh, listen, bad things happen for Los Angeles. Good things for the Fire. Mihailovic together with Felcher, and my goodness, what has just happened? It's got to be a goal for Sapong. And the wound from the Galaxy point of view, self-inflicted. Sapong in his first MLS game, wearing the colours of the Chicago Fire. I'll tell you what, if you're a Galaxy fan, close your eyes. Diego Polenta was brought in to shore up the back line, and it's just an uncharacteristic mistake. He casually tries to play the ball back to Bingham. Yeah, it did not work, and all of a sudden you saw C.J. Sapong grab the ball, make a little deke move around the goalkeeper, puts the ball in the net. The Chicago Fire take the lead in the 49th minute. The Fire had dominated play on the offensive side for the game. Um, Georgi Mihalovic to uh, Frankowski, top of the box. The ball goes off of the crossbar. Frankowski in the 58th minute. He beats a defender. His cross just a little bit too long for a sliding Alexander Katai. Katai in the 63rd minute, just a few minutes later. The ball a little too strong for CJ Zapong. They were just missing. This game could have been out of reach early in the contest. Mihalovic with the ball just a little bit too far for Frankowski. Things, uh, were struggling, but the fire still had the lead. That was until the 68th minute. Uh, just before that, the LA Galaxy bring in a player. And this guy is just 16 years old. That's right. 16 years old. He comes in to play for the LA Galaxy. His name is Alvarez. Last name Alvarez. And uh, this guy sets up a beautiful goal for the LA Galaxy. Valenta it was, teasing and tormenting Alvarez, oh it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, and it's the equaliser set up by Alvarez, well certainly his moment in the spotlight. 16 year old Efra Alvarez, and uh, he makes his first Major League Soccer start. And he sets the ball up, a header going in to the net past David Osted. And we are tied at one. That was in the 68th minute. Now the Fire continued to have some chances. 
Uh, Martinez from Gatai had an opportunity. David Osted with what you would call a tremendous save. Well, I'm, it's not going to be just you that would call it. If you saw it, it was one of the more miraculous saves I've seen in a long time. David Ofsted, the new kitcher, or new goalkeeper for the Chicago Fire. And uh, the save he made, just amazing. Derek Ray and uh, Maurice Du on the call on FS1. Now, Shelvick and Ibrahimovic. How on earth did it stay out? That's what are we going to see next? And we've just seen a magician. It's a nice clip ball into the back post. Zlatan kind of shoulders the ball in there, and I don't know how Alcid is able to readjust himself, bring that right hand up and get a strong hand on the ball to keep it out of the net, but this is a great sequence on both ends. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, David Osted keeping the uh, score tied at 1-1. One to one. Uh, the ball was in the box, and it was chested down towards the goal by Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He thought he had a goal. He thought it was 2-1 Galaxy. Everything was great. And the, the ball had actually gotten past Osted, and he reached back with his right hand and tipped it up over the net. An amazing save. If you get a chance, go to Chicago-Fire.com or MLSsoccer.com and check it out. Just an amazing save by uh, David Osted from the Chicago Fire. But then... He couldn't stop one from Zlatan. Uh, Pontius having come on, trying to make an impact. And it comes, and over the line it goes, and it had to be Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Who else could it be? Yeah, Zlatan Ibrahimovic as he scores the goal. This was late in the 80th minute. The fire had some numerous chances after that, but unable to score. So they go on the road and lose 2-1 to one to the L.A. Galaxy. Uh, they had a, they had they dominated play um, on the attack, just were a little short of getting the ball into the net a few times in that first half. They had their chances, had their opportunities, a couple of mistakes on the back side, uh, on the left side of the defense. So we'll see if they can shore that up. The Chicago Fire, they come to the new stadium. It's not new, just the name is new. Was Toyota Park. It is now Seat Geek Stadium in Bridgeview as the Chicago Fire. They come home. They have a bunch of home games coming up, three of them in March. They play March 9th, which is next Saturday, against Orlando City SC. They also play on the 16th and on the 30th. All of them, noon starts. And you may say noon starts is kind of an early start for a Chicago Fire soccer game in town. Kind of an early start for anything, but. When you're playing a game outside, what you want to do is you want to take advantage of any sun you might get. Now, I don't know if that's why they're doing it. I don't know if this was the Fires' decision or if this was Major League Soccer's decision. But when you're playing a game outside, you want to be able to play uh, in some decent temperatures, okay? And uh, the best time to play is right around noon when the sun's at its, at its peak. Okay, so the Chicago Fire with some noon starts coming up for uh, the next couple of weeks. You can get your tickets Chicago-Fire.com, and uh, they will be uh, they're going to be a fun team to watch this year. The attack and this Frankowski on the left wing. He moved around from left wing to the right wing, but it's been ama- it was amazing watching this guy. And the entire course of the game, Derek Ray and Maurice Adu were just saying it's going to be a lot of fun for Fire fans watching this guy play because what he was able to do with the speed he has 
And the Chicago Fire have had some speedy guys in the past, in the history of the club. This guy flies down the left wing. And what he can do with Georgi Mihalovic and what he can do with Alexander Katai is going to be so much fun to watch. Here are the games coming up again. March 9th uh, against Orlando City SC. Uh, March 16th, you're, the, the Seattle Sounders and Jordan Morris are in town. And then after a trip to New York, the Fire come home, take on... Michael Bradley, who scored two goals yesterday. Toronto FC taking on, I'm sorry, that game is actually in uh, Toronto the week before that, the 30th, uh, March 30th, New York Red Bulls. That is at uh, SeatGeek Stadium. So the New York Red Bulls, Josie Altador, will see if he is healthy enough to go. So MLS season gets underway. Two more games tonight again. Uh, DC United against Atlanta United. The defending MLS Cup champions going against Wayne Rooney and company at 5 o'clock on ESPN. And then LAFC taking on Sporting Kansas City. That is a 7 o'clock start. So Major League Soccer is underway each and every Sunday. I'm going to try and at least recap the uh, Chicago Fire games for you. Hopefully some of the home games I'll be able to get uh, one of the players on to react to some of the action and some of the games that have been played over the time. Uh, the, fi- the Fire looking for you to come on out to SeatGeek Stadium and uh, get you uh, ready for some excitement. Some excitement for the uh, Chicago Fire and uh, Major League Soccer. 312-332-3776. We've got a lot to discuss over the next uh, 10, 15 minutes here till a little bit past 12 o'clock. One of the things I wanted to ask you, and I was just talking about football. Now I'm talking about football. Uh, we heard earlier this week that Jason Witten, or as Stephen A. Smith likes to call him, Jason Witten, uh, there's T's in the name. Pronounce the T's. It's not button. It's button. Okay, uh, so Jason Winton decided, you know what, I'm leaving the broadcast booth and I am going back to the field. And you know what, not a bad reason to go back to the field. He figures he can still play for the Dallas Cowboys. He gets a one-year deal for $3.5 million. Now, that leaves Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland in the Monday night broadcast booth. What I want to ask you, 312-332-3776, do you think that ESPN needs to add a third guy in the broadcast booth? And if so, who should that third guy be? When we come back, we're going to hear from a guy who not only thinks he could get that job, but thinks he would be really, really good doing it. We'll talk about it. We come back. Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. It's funny. Kiss just did their end of the world tour, and they're said they're wrapping it up. They're not. They're done. Rolling Stones just keep on going. Just keep on going. It's unbelievable. Baseball today, uh, the Cubs and White Sox. I think it's Cubs.com. You can watch it on your computer. Don't know why it's not on TV. They didn't ask me. I sat and watched the Cubs and Brewers yesterday. Blackhawks later on tonight. They get the uh, San Jose Sharks later on this evening. And the Bulls taking on Atlanta. That is a uh, 2.30 start. See if it's another four overtime game. So we went to break. We were talking about the... Monday night announcers for Monday night football. And Jason Witten goes back to the NFL. One year, $3.5 million. And now my question is, do 
does the ESPN need a third broadcaster? And if so, who should that be? Phil Rosenthal from the Tribune today writes, and he puts down a bunch of names. Some of these he may be having fun with. Uh, Kurt Warner, he lists. Kurt Warner does uh, a lot of action. He does uh, NFL Network contributor, does national radio for the Monday night games. Steve Young, I think, would be great. Steve Young's another ESPN guy that's always there every Monday night. He's always there on the field before the game and at halftime and everything else like that. Greg Olson, he hasn't retired yet, but uh, he got some experience as a TV analyst from Fox. Matt Hasselbeck, another former quarterback, been one of ESPN's leading studio guys for a while. Phil Rosenthal is Kirk Herbstreet. I don't want to see Kirk Herbstreet just when I see him, I think, I think college. Um, he also lists Rex Ryan. Now, a lot of people I've heard are big Rex Ryan fans, and they would love to see a Rex Ryan do this. Some people say Peyton Manning. And I don't know if how good or bad Peyton Manning would be. Everything Peyton Manning does, he does it well. So I would love to hear him do a game or two before I said yes or no to Monday night, and you know that doesn't happen. And I'll save the last guy that Phil Rosenthal said for a, for after this because there's something coming up later on tonight you might want to make sure you watch. But the first guy that Phil Rosenthal mentioned, the first guy a lot of people mention when they think of ESPN and football is Lewis Riddick. Lewis Riddick, a friend of the Waddle and Sylvie show, and I was fortunate enough to work with Sylvie on Friday. We had Lewis Riddick on and uh, asked him, if it was one of the things that he wanted to do, be the Monday night football color commentator. That is the pinnacle for me. That is the ultimate for me. That won't change until maybe it comes to fruition. Looks like there's some things up in the air again now, now doesn't it? So let's just see what happens. <laughs> let's end the drama. Let's end all the, all the stuff out there and just put Lewis Riddick in the Monday night football booth. Hey, sounds good. Go ahead and repeat that over and over and over again on your air. On the on the airways, because I'll tell you this, you put me in that booth, look, I know a lot of people really respect Tony Romo, and so do I. Tony's good. Tony's good. You put me in the booth, you'll be saying, hey, that Riddick guy's good. I can guarantee you that. Uh, very interesting. It's not like he just wants it a little bit. He said it would be the pinnacle. He'd be very good, and I have no doubt about it. I love listening to him every time he is on the station be it with Waddle and Sylvie or anybody else that he is on with, he breaks the game down. I asked him the other day because the name has come up when the Bears look at kickers. Uh, I said, should the Bears look at the 40-something-year-old uh, Matt Bryant who had kicked for the Atlanta Falcons? Before I got done with my question, he said yes and kicked indoors for all these years. And now he's going to be kicking in one of he would have to be kicking in one of the hardest places. Uh, he took a pass on that one. Did not think that was a good idea. So Lewis Riddick would be tremendous. I don't know what's going to happen. Don't know if they even need a third guy when you have Booger McFarland and Joe Tessitore. But uh, your thoughts? You want to jump in three one two three three two three seven seven six. Going to have a short segment after the top of the hour, and also you may be looking forward to it. There's a headline in the Chicago Tribune. It says, Illinois is ready to go all in on something. 
We'll talk about that when we come back. Fred Hubner with you, 312-332-3776. We got Notre Dame basketball coming up a little after 12 o'clock as the Irish taking on Louisville. We got the game for you right here. Oh, the other name I was going to mention, Jay Cutler. He may not be a guy for the uh, Monday Night Football, but he's on very cavalry later on tonight. Season 2 gets underway. Don't you dare miss it. Back after this on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you for a couple minutes before we go to Notre Dame basketball. They take on Louisville here and right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, the Tribune today, the business section, a lot of different things. Talking about Walmart finds a new role for popular greeter. Uh, how much are the Cubs worth? Try $2.15 billion. Wasn't even going to read you that one. I didn't see that. It was below the fold. Uh, Amazon plans to open dozens of grocery stores. But the one that jumped out to me, because unlike a lot of the people at this station, other than a sandwich bet here and there, and I owe Sylvie, I showed him. There was a great one on uh, Twitter yesterday. It was a ham. Uh, no, it was a turkey on whole wheat. I thought that would be a good sandwich to get him after my loss of a sandwich bet. But the headline in the Tribune business section says, Illinois ready to go all in on sports betting. Sports gambling, a multi-billion dollar industry that mostly relies on the black market, may soon go legit in Illinois, backed by Governor J.B. Pritzker and a host of gambling interests. Illinois is looking to join New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and a growing number of states to legalize sports betting, turning the widely practiced but illicit activity into a bounteous source of tax revenue and why not uh, i added the why not don't lose your bookies number just yet however to get it done lawmakers and businesses face a series of hurdles illinois legislators for one need to figure out where sports betting should take place how much of it how much of taxpayers and whether Let's see how much to taxpayers and whether to limit it to bricks and mortar locations or allow more lucrative online betting as well. The big obstacle in many states, including Illinois, you may have a wide variety of stakeholders who want in on sports betting, but may have conflicting visions of how regulated sports betting might be. This from the managing director of sports betting uh, for a California based research firm. Uh, they've got it in a lot of different places. I'm looking here. It's a really good article. It does talk about getting in early. Legal sports betting is still a uh, early industry in the U.S., available only in Nevada until a Supreme Court ruling uh, last year struck out a 92 federal law. It says you'll be competing with bookies uh, and offshore accounts. Uh, State Rep. Mike Zalewski, Riverside Democrat. Riverside. I know people that live there. Uh, heads of the House Revenue Committee is expected to help craft the state's proposed sports betting legislation aiming at a May 31st deadline to get it on the governor's desk. Uh, says that lower sports betting tax rates in New Jersey, which launched in June with an 8.5% tax on casino wagering and 13% tax online, may offer an instructive guideline. He likewise uh, favors a healthy mix of online and brick-and-mortar 
uh, platforms. It was funny because remember we heard that the NBA might consider having kiosks. So when you go to a Bulls game, for example, we go to the Bulls game today. I know Sylvie's going to the Bulls game today. And Sylvie could go and as he was, uh, walking back from, with his young son getting a, I don't know, cotton candy. He probably doesn't get his son cotton candy. He'd be wired all day. Um, getting his son something. He could stop at the kiosk and said, Mason, just stand here for a second. I got to make a bet on the bulls. And you go to the kiosk, just like you were going to an ATM, and boom, 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 made your bet. Now, if it happens there, it'll happen everywhere. Could you imagine at Wrigley Field or at Guaranteed Rate? Um, you know, uh, anywhere they would have be able to bet on sports. Now, that's the case. Now, the thing that aggravates me, and a lot of my buddies that were involved in horse racing is this should have happened decades ago. When I covered the Bears in Platteville, I used to, I used to drive and they had casino and slot machines in Iowa, in Dubuque, and it was a short ride from Platteville. So they would have dog racing and then they would have casino and slot betting there. And the Illinois, the state of Illinois refused to do it because of that. Balmoral Park closed. Sportsman's Park became an auto racing track and now is a warehouse for Rocky Wirtz, a uh, liquor warehouse. Maywood Park just started getting demolished this past week. All these places closed because the state of Illinois did not want to put slot machines in all of these racetracks. When Balmoral closed, Buddy Mine had been there for a long time and uh, gone. Okay? Just ridiculous. Uh, people want to gamble? You should make it easy to gamble. They shouldn't have to go offline. The Illinois should be able to make some of the money from all this gambling that uh, the people in the state want to do. So it'll happen eventually. Pritzker's behind it. We got it. So can't wait for it to happen. Thanks to Felix Reyes for all of his help today. Thanks to Scott Merkin. He helped out when he gave me some White Sox info. Sox and the Cubs are playing in Sloan Park today. As they go at it, I think you got to go to Cubs.com to follow that game. Eli Jimenez batting fifth, playing left field for the Southsiders against his former team. Thanks for listening. Don't forget all the guys are back, including Tom Waddle tomorrow. Coming up, it's Notre Dame and Louisville right here on ESPN 1000. Have a great day.